And I'll invite us as God's people to turn again in God's word to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Today we come to the closing chapter in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, which we have been looking at for quite a bit of time now. And I want to read uh, that passage. We're going to look today at kind of the overall uh, chapter here and what it shows us. And then next week we're going to come back and from uh, some of the things Paul says here bring to a close um, our study of 1 Corinthians before we move into uh, a short series of what it means to be ambassadors for Christ, our, our vision as a church, and we'll be looking at some of that from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. For today, we're giving our attention to God's word in 1 Corinthians 16. Let's give our attention and, and focus our hearing upon the reading of God's word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with, other, with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity." Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to, thee, to such as these and to every worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, giving recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. So greet one another with a holy kiss. Father, would you... Bless the reading and the hearing and the teaching of your word, which is truth and which has power to transform. Holy Spirit, come and do your transforming work in us as your people. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Almost eight months ago, we began this study of 1 Corinthians by looking at the opening verses of the letter where Paul greets this congregation that he's writing to in the city of Corinth, uh, founded through his ministry just a few years earlier, with these words. He calls them, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his correspondence by reminding them that they are part of something bigger, something much bigger than just a, a fellowship of believers there in the city of Corinth. And having gone on in his letter, as we've seen over that period of time, to, to confront them, to correct a number of, of divisive issues and, and, and kind of thorny things that were happening in the church that were threatening their unity and harming rather than building up the body, he now wraps things up here at the end of the letter with what appears to be just a few kind of practical, you know, uh, unrelated housekeeping matters. And it seems if coming off of chapter 15, after that, that, that uh, glorious and, and, and soaring rhetoric, rhetoric of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it seems a little anticlimactic. <laughs> uh, but, but there is not necessarily here a cohesive theme or a well-reasoned argument in these final verses. But what we do get as we look at it from the overall perspective is we get a very personal and a very practical picture of the breadth and the, and the beauty and the blessing of Christ's body, of the communion of saints in action. This morning in our foundations classes, we looked at the statement of faith in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of saints. And here in 1 Corinthians 16, we get a glimpse of what that, that communion entails and, and what it looks like when it is lived out in the day-to-day in the -day, warp and wolf of living life together and the relationships that God brings to us. Paul's final instructions... His shared ministry plans that he gives to the Corinthians give us valuable insight into this, this interconnection and, and life of what is a dynamic and, and growing body of Christ in the early church. When you go to the doctor, say you go to the doctor for a physical, um, you're not, he's not just going to check on the health of one particular part of your body. He's not going to go in there and say, hey, your head looks good. You're good. Go. Or, you know, your feet, are they feeling fine? You're good. You're all right. Take off. No, he's, he's going to want to see that the whole thing is doing well and that it's working as it's supposed to be. And so he may start by asking you general questions about how you're feeling and are you having any pain and, and what's going on in your lifestyle. He may, uh, he'll have certain um, uh, uh, indicators, certain overall markers of health that will help him assess how things are going. And so, so he'll come and check your blood pressure to make sure that, that oxygen and nutrients are, are getting to all the parts of the body well. He'll take your temperature and, and heart rate. He may draw blood and, and check the levels of, of certain things that are important to your health. And there may be some other general tests that he uses, ultimately, hopefully, to be able to say, yep, things are good, look great, go on. Or 
maybe to diagnose something that may not be right and may need some treatment. Well, just, just as a human body, just like the human body, the body of Christ, the church, with its many different members and gifts and the interaction that God has for us together as we, as we live together in that body, has ways in which we necessarily function together. And there are certain general indicators, there are certain overall markers that can indicate good health, good function, and if there's something that needs attention, or if there's something that needs attention. And I think here in 1 Corinthians 16, there are several, what we might call overall health indicators in the church that are manifested in countless different ways in, in the individual lives of, of churches and of, of uh, members of Christ's body in our life together, but they are key markers that we are living in a vital and a healthy connection, not only with our head, Jesus Christ, but also with one another as members of his body. And from what Paul says here in these closing pages of his letter, these, these personal interactions and these particular situations that are being addressed here in the church, I want to look at, at three of those general indicators of health, growth, and maturity in our life and function together as the body of Christ. These aren't the only ones, but they're ones I think that are important that are drawn out here. And the first of those is is a sharing together in material and ministry resources. A healthy, mature church is one that is sharing together in the things that God has blessed us with and the gifts that God has given to us in ministry. Paul begins with some instructions concerning what he calls the collection for the saints. Now, this is obviously something the Corinthians already knew about. He had already communicated to them about, and they probably had some more questions about. And as he traveled around planting churches in the Gentile regions of, of the Roman Empire, Paul felt a particular burden for those to whom the gospel had first come, to, to God's covenant people, the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem where, where the gospel first went out. They were the mother church from which Paul and the, the other apostles were, were sent out. And they were now suffering from a severe famine that had hit in the area, as well as continued persecution and pressure from, and hostility from the Jewish authorities. And in all the churches that, that Paul had established, Paul stressed the, the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility they had to help meet the needs, in particular, of those brothers and sisters back in Judea. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he goes on into more detail of how, how some of the other churches in the area had, had responded with great joy and great sacrifice. And he exhorts there the, the Corinthians to, to follow their example. But here, he simply just gives them practical instructions for how to, how to, to set this aside. They are to give regularly on the first day of the week, likely as, as part of the time when they were to gather together in worship. They were to give willingly, each person voluntarily setting aside proportionally as God would prosper him. 
And note, this is done purposefully and systematically so that there, there's not going to be, when Paul comes to visit them, any kind of need for a special capital campaign or for Paul to go around shaking the, the offering plate and saying, come on, we need, to, we need to give more. Paul's preparing them and, and, and giving them opportunity to, to purposefully enter into this ministry. And in order that there's accountability, Paul assures them the gift will be carried by someone that they approve and even himself if necessary. Now, I've heard whole sermons preached from this passage about the importance of taking up an offering during worship on the Lord's Day. And that may be an application to this, but it's not Paul's main point. Paul's concern is not primarily with the how, although he gives instructions for the how. His primary concern is with the what and the why. The what is making sure that fellow family members, brothers and sisters in the Lord, members of the body of Christ who are poor or who find themselves in, in material need for, through some crisis or circum, difficult circumstance are provided and cared for by others in the body of Christ. There was no social security. There was no government support in these days. If someone were poor, if someone were in need, apart from their family, they had no other resources. And as God brings the body of Christ together, as he calls us into communion with him and with one another, part of that calling is that we now have a responsibility to one another. And we care for one another. So that's the what. And the why is stated by Paul more explicitly over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 where he gives more detail about this. But in calling the Corinthians to excel in this grace of giving, he says to them, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." Paul says, Jesus, who had everything, gave up everything, became nothing in order that we might have everything. <laughs> Jesus is the one who provides every need for his body. And one way that he does that is by those who have been blessed by God with an abundance, providing for those who lack, who are in need. See that in 2 Corinthians 9. And so when one part of your body has a need, <laughs> your physical body, if it's malnourished or if it has a, a virus or is fighting some, some infection, what happens? The rest of the body sends, responds to get that part of the body what it needs. Nutrients taken from the rest of the body will be channeled to that part of the body to, to help it, it survive it's malnourishment. Antibodies will be sent to that place where the infection is to, to help root it out and to, and to heal the body. And it doesn't matter where that is or what part of the body it is, the body will respond. <laughs> and part of Paul's heart was simply to help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They had needs. They were in crisis and the compassion of Christ led Paul and, and led the other churches to say, who didn't even know these people, we want, to, we want to share what we have to help them. 
But part of Paul's heart was also that this would be a tangible show of the solidarity, of the unity, of the love that Jesus came to bring in bringing together two hostile groups of people and making them one. The walls of hostility that Jesus brings down between Gentile and Jew, between slave and free, that wall is broken down such that tangible expressions of love can now go forth. We here at the church take up a deacon's fund that has the purpose of helping those in need. And that's a good thing. And we we want to be able to help not only those in need within our church, that's first, but also, if we can, those outside who we can serve in the name of Christ. But Paul here is is not taking up necessarily a deacon's fund for the poor believers there in Corinth. This was for members of the body from afar, people they did not know, probably would never meet. And it shows us this this international uh, uh, um, uh, nature of the body of Christ. We are joined together. Paul mentions five different regions of the church in this short passage. And Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. And so part of our, our vision as ambassadors is that we would, we would care for each other. We would love like Jesus loves. And that means we are attuned to the needs of our fellow saints, not only here in the body of Christ at Ambassador, but also here in our community and here in our, out in our denomination and even to the ends of the earth. That our hearts are moved with compassion to help meet those needs out of an abundance with which God has blessed us. But it's not just sharing material resources with those in need. The body has other resources to share as well. And, and Paul notes one here particularly, and that's the ministry of people, <laughs> the ministry of personnel. Paul greatly desires to go back to Corinth, but he notes that, that, he, he notes that in his absence, there's an impending visit from Timothy along with some other brothers, coming most likely at, at Paul's Uh, behest to bring some needed encouragement, some needed instruction to them. Yet Paul is also aware that such a visit is not without its problems. We saw earlier in the letter there were factions in the church. And some of those factions revolved around different, different leaders, people who were serving in different ways or had served in different ways in the church. And, and some people were drawn to this one or drawn to the ministry of this one. And Paul recognizes that in Timothy coming back, Timothy might be snubbed. He might even be despised by some. Paul says, don't do that. Welcome him. Put him at ease. For he's doing the Lord's work. Paul is sharing not just his own ministry, but through others who who the Lord is working through. He's sharing, he's encouraging the church to share in that ministry together. Likewise, Paul has encouraged Apollos to go back for a visit as well. And this was also risky on Paul's part for the same reason. Apollos could have been one of those leaders uh, whom some in the church favored. He was one of those leaders whom some in the church favored over Paul. And this could be a way to further, actually, that division. People might say, hey, Apollos is back. This is great. Our man is here. And others might be going, oh, goodness. But Paul is not threatened. And Paul knows Apollos' presence 
could possibly strengthen the body and that he, and though he could not come right away, he says, Paulus is willing to go back when he has the opportunity. And that sharing of, of, of sending others to the encouragement of the church is, is mutual. Paul himself, he says, has been encouraged and refreshed by a visit of those from the church of Corinth to him. Stephanus and, and Fortunatus and uh, Achaia have come and, and refreshed his spirit in the absence of being able to be with the other believers in Corinth. And he mentions Achilla and Prisca or Priscilla, who, who we first met in Corinth when they gave Paul uh, housing and encouraged him early on in his faith and he worked in their ministry and, and they had come to Corinth from Rome where they had had likely become believers and, and had a ministry there and now they're with Paul in Ephesus and they're, they're moving around. This, this ministry personnel is, is on the move and caring for the body of Christ and Paul sends greetings for them. And so this sending and receiving of ministry and ministry workers among what was now a, a growing and spreading international body of Christ points to the benefit and the blessing to be had as we share together our spiritual and, and ministry resources that God has blessed us with individually, but also that he's blessed us with as a church and among the wider body. It's hard when people leave. It's hard when people leave a church, whether it's a pastor or a staff member to another call, whether it's a member who's moving uh, to another city, which, which happens, or even sometimes people feeling led to a different church. And it's easy in those situations to focus on the negative, <laughs> to look at that and think, oh, there was some problem or, oh, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to be as good without them here or, or to focus on the negative in that. And there are some hard things in that and there may be negative reasons behind it. But transition, whether it's in leadership or in the sending and receiving of, of ministry personnel or members or, or members in the body, is, it's an opportunity to learn and to benefit from our brothers and sisters from different Places from different bodies, from different cultures, perhaps, and church traditions. And the hospitality and honor we show to those God brings to us or sends out from us are all ways in which God strengthens the overall body of Christ, in which God lives out and exercises uh, his work of grace within our greater communion of saints. And so as we prepare, for instance, to send the O'Donnells on to new work, as we pray and, and, and ask God and, and seek future ministry and pastoral staff, as we say goodbye to members who are moving away, as we receive new families who are, who are coming from other places or other bodies or even being brought for the first time into the church, let us do it with open encouraging, receiving, and welcoming hearts and minds as both they and we have much to offer in terms of God's strengthening work among us. So we see the communion of saints sharing together in material and ministry resources. But the second thing we see is a, is, is a body that is prepared for both open doors and opposition to the gospel. Prepared for open doors and opposition to the gospel. A healthy, mature church is, is ready for both. 
Paul tells the Corinthians that he plans to visit them again after traveling through Macedonia. But he doesn't know when that will be and he doesn't want to just, just breeze through town and kind of say hello and then, and then move on. He wants to stay with them. He wants to have more ministry among them for a while. And while he hopes for that opportunity to come, right now, he says, there is a wide open door for effective work here in Ephesus, where Paul was. If you go back, you can look at Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 19. Paul's work at Ephesus went on for more than two years. It was the longest place that he, he stayed anywhere in ministry. And, and that was because God was doing amazing things among the people there in Ephesus. And indeed, all of Asia was being impacted by the gospel as a result of what, of what Paul, God was doing through Paul and the believers in Ephesus. His ministry would flourish such that, such that the church there in Ephesus would become a base for sending out others like Epaphras to take the gospel to other regions. And Paul gives account of, of the fruitful but the hard labor he had among them in his farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20. So there was a lot going on in the ministry there for Paul. And even as Paul makes his plans to go to Macedonia, he knows that the Lord is directing his steps. And so he's prepared to alter those plans to take advantage of the open door God has given him in Ephesus. And we have to be careful as individuals, we have to be careful as, as a body in the church that we aren't so set on what we are going to do and how we are going to do it that we miss open doors of opportunity, that we miss opportunities God gives us for effective work in the gospel that he would call us to enter into. We have neighbors right around us here in this church and in this community, and there are new neighborhoods popping up everywhere you go around here. And God would have us, I believe, pray for, for, for him to do amazing work through us and to open doors of opportunity right here in our midst. What might that look like? And parents, don't be, so, don't be so locked into your plans for your children that you miss an open door that God may be, may be giving you into their heart or into their life to direct them and to help guide them more effectively to follow Christ. At your workplace, don't be so, so focused on the trajectory at your work and your plans for your career that you, you might breeze right past an open door God may have for you in some other field or even in ministry. And God works in the communion of saints, in the body of Christ, to help us see those open doors together, to help us enter to, into those, uh, those opportunities for effective ministry, whether in our individual lives or together as a church. Now, God may open multiple doors and provide many avenues of effective ministry, whether for you or for us together as a church. And we also have to decide where will we focus can't be more than one place at one time. But through the body of Christ, we can have a, a broader effective ministry. But Paul's decision to stay in Ephesus may have upset some in Corinth. And later on in 2 Corinthians, we find that his plans were further altered to prevent him from coming as he desired. So in order to say yes to something that God may be calling us to do as Paul was called in Ephesus we may have to say no to others 
other opportunities God may have for us. But we need to be looking for those open doors. We need to be attuned to how God is working both within our body and also within our community and how we might be uh, enter into those places for effective gospel ministry. And where we find gospel opportunities, you can be guaranteed we'll also find gospel opposition. Gospel opposition. Paul says there's a wide open door in Ephesus, and oh yeah, there are many adversaries. <laughs> there are wild beasts, figuratively, who are out to devour Paul and to stop his ministry. And Paul's preaching in Ephesus immediately began to have powerful impact on the community and the culture of that city. And many there did not like the results. Those involved in the, in the occult were converted to Christ. The makers of idols and, and trinkets for the temple saw their, their profits and their businesses plummet. And as happened in other cities, the Jewish religious authorities were resistant. They were hard-hearted towards the gospel, seeing it as a threat to their power and their traditions. And so they opposed Paul. <coughs> Excuse me. When God opens a door for the ministry of the gospel, there will be many who rise up and try to slam it shut. And as we enter into effective work in the gospel, in ministry together, in the body of Christ, or even as we engage with individuals in our own lives, we can expect that we will face opposition, have adversaries from among those with power, with wealth, whose lifestyles, whose views or practices are challenged or threatened by the truth of God's rule and reign. But Jesus promised us that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we can boldly storm the gates <laughs> and we can pursue the open doors that God presents to us and in our lives and in our church and, we, and be flexible and understanding and knowing that while we make our plans, God will direct our steps. So what doors might God be opening for you in your family, among your neighbors, in your work, at your school? What new or different opportunities is God giving us here at Ambassador as a church to reach out to, to our immediate neighbors, as I said, to show and share the gospel in, in practical, tangible ways with one another and, and with others in our circles who don't know Jesus? Are we ready? Are we prepared to enter into those doors and to face the opposition that may come as we do so? As we are, I think we'll be amazed to see how God grows us together and grows his church in the body of Christ. So a healthy, mature church shares in material and ministry needs. It is ready and prepared for open doors and opposition. And lastly, it will be eager to serve and submit to one another in love. Paul notes the long-term ministry of Stephanus and his family some of the first believers, some of the very early members of the church in Corinth. And he says, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, we don't know all the details of what that service looks like, but we can probably guess. But what we do know is it, is, it was intentional. It was dedicated. And it was ongoing. 
He and his family dedicated themselves, likely their time, likely their talents and their treasures, to simply meeting the needs of others, serving others in the body of Christ. They were available. They were committed. They were caring members of the church. And as a result, Paul says, they and those like them who are fellow workers and laborers in the faith, such service, that, 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 that is worth recognition. And such service, according to Jesus, is the mark of true leadership in the body of Christ. Jesus told us, those who lead are those who serve. And so Paul says, be subject, submit yourselves to such as these. Respect their faithfulness, their leadership gifts, their desire and devotion to serving the body. Leadership in the church, whether at the ordained level or at the level of overseeing and engaging in a, a particular area of ministry. It's not a matter of, of one's education or skills or charisma, but it's a matter of one's gifting by God's grace put into and devoted to service and care for others. And it was not just Stephanus, but his whole household who devoted themselves to serve. You know, I love it. It's a great blessing here at Ambassador uh, to see whole families serving together in the ministry that God has called us to. To see our children, to see our youth alongside their parents, to see, to see the, the, the older members and the younger members, the marrieds and the singles, all engaging in the ministry to the body of Christ together. And God has gifted every member of his body in some capacity for the purpose of serving others. And as we do so, again, we see the body grow and flourish in ongoing love. But there's not just an eagerness to serve, also a willingness to be served. To humble ourselves and be subject to those whom God gives to serve us in a way that blesses and encourages them as well. And that's true of those God calls to lead and serve in official capacity in the church. Ministers and elders bear the responsibility to lead and to love the sheep just like Jesus did. And that is exercised in various ways in, in service to the church. And I'm thankful for, for long-term deacons and elders, some of whom were among the first members here at Ambassador and who are still faithfully devoted to serving the church. And we desire and want more. Young and old who are willing to eager to serve, not just as officers, but, but in different ways to be available, to be willing and eager to, to, to meet the needs of Christ's body and using their gifts to serve one another. And so such, such mutual service and submission together leads to a, as Paul says, a refreshing of the spirit in the body of Christ that causes us to grow in God's grace and to do, as Paul says, all that we do in love. Brothers and sisters, we are part of something bigger. <laughs> bigger than just what we see right here in this room. We are part of the body of Christ, the communion of saints, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's made up of all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. We are joined together as saints, not just with one another here at Ambassador, not just with those in our denomination and in our community here in Apex and in the Triangle, but with all the saints across the country and across the continents. And we are connected together with, with other sister churches in our congregation. 
those that have a common Reformed Presbyterian tradition. And we are called and we have an opportunity to share material and ministry resources with one another. And we have opportunities before us in our own body to, to, to reach out and to meet the needs and to serve in gospel ministry here together and for Christ in his kingdom. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But as Paul says, as we are watchful, as we stand firm in the faith, as we are courageous and strong in the face of opposition, as we seek to do all that we do in love, then Jesus Christ, who became poor in order that that we might become rich in grace, who gave all of himself to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us, who submitted himself to the Father's will and walked through the open door of radical sacrificial service on the cross in order that we might have life. Jesus, with us and through us, will strengthen his body and grow us together in love as we remain connected and abide in him together in the body. And so as we get ready to come to this table, the sacrament of communion, it's a place where our connection to Christ and our communion with one another in the body is most visibly portrayed and participated in as he welcomes us as one to come and feast on him by faith. And so as we come, let's pray and ask God to equip us through his word and through his spirit and in this sacrament to share in his grace, to show his love and to serve with compassion all whom he brings to us and all to whom he gives us opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we come now and thank you that you have called us to yourself, that you have united us through your son Jesus Christ to one another. And that you continue to work in us as we share our lives, our resources, our gifts, ourselves, our service with one another. That you might be glorified. Lord, help us not only to know how to do that, but to understand why we do that. Because you have served us. And I thank you for the service and the ministry and the the communion you've called together here in the saints at Ambassador. Lord, may we live out our name to be your ambassadors, serving and meeting the needs of those around us through the love and the truth and the grace that we have in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.